Today, I want to welcome Mr. Greg Roscoff. Thank you, Dan. How are you doing? Oh, it's good. How's it's good. Doing? It's a. Yeah. It's it's perfect. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate all of you out there listening. I know some of you are still logging in, so I'm going to just run through some quick housekeeping before we get to the meat of the interview. So first of all, everybody is muted. Uh, again, that's just so we don't have a lot of background noise and so forth, but you do have the ability to communicate with us and to be able to post questions by using the box that says uh, questions, right? So go to the question, not the chat box, the question, type your questions in there and, and we'll address them at the end of the interview. Uh, we're going to run about 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, and then we'll do some Q&A. Uh, definitely want to be able to, to get to anything that you uh, you know, that's on your mind or you'd like to know more about. There are downloads. So if you look on your control panel, it'll say handouts. Go to the handouts and download the material in there. You're going to see that we have some special offers that you won't want to miss out on. So make sure you download those handouts. Uh, in case you're new to, do, to, to attending our interviews, there's no exam. Yay, there's no exam for this. Uh, it's not a course or aren't CECs or a final exam. Uh, just tune in. Uh, you know, kick back, grab your popcorn, and enjoy the brilliance. So with that, enough housekeeping. Again, I want to welcome Mr. Greg Roscoff. And Greg, if, if you could please just uh, tell the folks out there a little about yourself. All right. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, I think probably the first thing is my history of where everything started in the development of muscle activation techniques. And, and basically, I began my career, I uh, played football for 17 years, and I ended up having a fractured vertebrae when I was 19, and, and had a lot of residual problems related to the fractured vertebrae. And, and I went on, I, got my, I sacrificed my last year of eligibility in football, and went on, I got the job as a strength and conditioning coach at Fresno State, and, and then got my master's in uh, physical education with an emphasis in exercise science. And, and through this process, I mean, I always worked out. I mean, 17 years of football, I, I just always worked out. I loved the, the muscle system and getting strong and looking, I mean, pumping iron, reading those magazines when I was young. And, and, and just uh, that was what probably motivated me to go to college is the fact that I was playing football, I was working out, and then to get a job as a strength and conditioning coach at Fresno State, uh, I really had no idea of what I wanted to do, but it fit perfectly in in what my passion was. And But in the process of it all, I, I had this fractured vertebrae that I was dealing with. And, and over the years, I had residual problems. I mean, by the time I was 25 years old, I had patella femoral syndrome, plantar fasciitis, SI joint dysfunction. I literally had, had one injury after another. And I was 25 years old saying, man, if I'm this bad at 25, what am I going to be like when I'm 50? And I mean, pretty, pretty concerned at the time. And and uh, but the interesting thing was is that I was strong. I mean, even though I had the fractured vertebrae, I, I mean, I was bench pressing 400 pounds, squatting 500 pounds. Uh, I was strong, and but I, I wore a weight belt. I um, had I had knee wraps, elbow wraps. I mean, uh, orthotics. I had every form of of stability uh, from an external standpoint that I could come up with. And, and so it was interesting. It was artificial ways to stabilize the joints. And from what I know now, it's a, actually muscles are supposed to do their job to stabilize joints. You shouldn't need artificial support. And, and so 
I found ways to make up for the for the pain um, or for the dysfunction that I had and, and try and work with what I had, but I was compensating. I knew I was compensating and I found out, I mean, years later, I can look at it and say, after the fractured vertebrae, uh, my body had to compensate and it had to compensate for the weaknesses that, that related to that fractured vertebrae. And when you have injuries, then the body has, when you compensate, it's almost like driving your car with bad alignment. The harder and faster you drive it, the faster it's going to break down. So I was working out heavy and with the back problem, wearing the weight belt, and then I had patellofemoral syndrome, plantar fasciitis, and and through compensation, uh, I was, I mean, literally, like I said, 25 years old. I'm sitting there, what am I going to be like when I'm 50 if I'm this bad now? And and it's interesting because some of the other factors that came with that are, I mean, my blood pressure was high. I mean, borderline diabetic. I mean, I was I was young. Uh, but I, was, I wasn't healthy. And you think when you work out, I mean, exercise is the cure-all for every disease out there, and I wasn't healthy. But the other key is inflammation is the common denominator behind every disease out there, from coronary heart disease to diabetes to fibromyalgia, Parkinson's. Uh, you name the disease, and it has an inflammatory basis behind it. And so looking at it in, in retrospect, I, I was inflamed. And my system was stressed and I was overloading my system through exercise. And I, honestly, at the time, I think exercise was contributing to, to my, my problems from a pain standpoint. I mean, pain is a symptom of inflammation. So I was in chronic pain and I was chronically inflamed. And um, I mean, now you see people with food allergies, lactose intolerant, gluten intolerant, all these sensitivities. I had them all when I was young and, and now I don't have them. <laughs> and wow. and the key is is that it, it's when your system's inflamed in your muscle system you think of the surface area of your muscles I mean the mass that that covers and if you overload the tissues um, when these muscles get overloaded and overstressed and chronically inflamed they basically get in a catabolic state rather than an anabolic state and I think everybody out there can relate to the idea of overtraining and overtraining how do you feel when you overtrain uh, you're, I mean, you don't sleep well, you're irritable, your digestion's off. I mean, you have a lot of issues that, I mean, physiologically relate to the fact that your muscle system got overloaded. So if you're in chronically inflamed, you're relatively, you're in, a, in an overtrained state, regardless of what you're doing. And some people, everyday activity puts them in an overtrained state. If you think of something like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, um, and you look at all the symptoms of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, they're the same symptoms that you would read if you were looking at overtraining. And the key is the tolerance level of those muscle, the muscle system on those people are so low that everyday activity can put them in an overtrained state. And so I'm kind of tying all this together over the years, like I'm 25 years old, I was dying. <laughs> and so I sought out specialists in, in every field from uh, physical therapy to uh, chiropractic to podiatry to training, um, had some great resources and, and mainly for selfish reasons because I wanted to help myself. And the interesting thing that, that when I went to, to all these specialists was the common denominator behind every, every specialist that I went to and learned from was that you're tight. The reason that you have these these problems is because you're so tight. And I mean, I literally could, I mean, barely bend to touch my knees, let alone my toes and, and uh, flexibility wise. 
Um, and but what's interesting is as I learned from all these specialists, they always the mo basically when they implemented their techniques and uh, on me, it was uh, the the modalities regardless of whichever field they came from. From chiropractic, they would adjust to move joints, physical therapy, mobilization, stretching, deep tissue work, um, massage therapy, uh, same thing to try and release tissues. We had all of these uh, modalities were focused on trying to release the tightness or relieve the tightness. And the interesting thing was every time I would stretch or get deep tissue massage, I couldn't get out of bed the next morning. I mean, I'd wake up with sciatica and numbness down into my big toe. And I'm literally saying, I've learned from the top specialists in the world. And all these specialists had um, biomechanics background. I mean, they, they basically looked at the interrelationships of joints and how the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip, all the way to the occiput are interrelated. And they could demonstrate through, through the understanding of biomechanics, which became my specialty, they could end it, represent and indicate how if you have abnormal motion in one joint, it can put increased stress in other joints and tissues, so your pain can show up far away from where your dysfunction is. And so I always worked off of those principles, that it is, that it is an integrated system. And if you see limitations in range of motion, um, you'll find correlating, I mean, um, imbalances that put stress and the pain could be far away from where the dysfunction is. And so I put together a business myself that related to range of motion. I learned every modality out there to increase mobility. <laughs> and so I was a range of motion function guy. I'll say one of the best, uh, greatest influences from uh, understanding biomechanics was Richard Jackson, a physical therapist that I worked with in Fresno. But then Gary Gray, uh, after I started working with the physical therapist who specialized in biomechanics, uh, there's Richard Jackson. Then I went out and sought out Gary Gray. And this is over 30 years ago. And Gary Gray was the king of function, and he only taught, taught physical therapists at the time, and I was one of the few people outside the physical therapy world that was able to take his courses back then. And so I became a functional movement range of motion specialist, and I developed my own field. And with those, this practice, I mean, I, the goal was to improve pe people's functional movement, improve their ranges of motion, and I had a high level of success. And But the interesting thing was it wasn't working for me. I was still broken down and I was still injured. And so at the time I, I got hired by the Utah Jazz. I was with the Utah Jazz for the last 10 years of the Stockton Malone era. And then I got hired by the Denver Broncos and 97 was the first Super Bowl year. I was full time with the Broncos for the two Super Bowl years. And, and so I got hired with the background of being a range of motion functional movement guy. And in my experience of working with the Utah Jazz, I worked with a team chiropractor who did who performed manual muscle testing. He, um, his, his specialty was clinical kinesiology, and he did manual muscle testing. And so we worked together, and we'd worked together on mainly John Stockton, but some other athletes, and we worked together, and he'd do his evaluation, I'd do my evaluation, and, and um, we'd kind of correlate notes and and try to get the best I mean, we could do with, by, with working on the athlete. But the interesting thing was I started playing around with the muscle testing because I had learned it in my degree with exercise science. I learned the Kendall and Kendall approaches, but these were real specific muscle tests through uh, Alan Beardall who created clinical kinesiology. And so I started playing around and wanted to know more about it and see how it fit in what I do from this biomechanical perspective. And one of the things that I found out was that wherever I saw a limitation in range of motion, I would test muscles related to that limitation in range of motion, 
and the muscles were showing up as being weak. So there was a direct correlation between wherever I saw a limitation in range of motion, there was correlating muscle weaknesses. And that was an interesting phenomenon to, to me. And, and um, so you think about it is, I mean, when you can't turn your head, it's like, oh, I can't turn my head to the right, but oh, I can turn it all the way to the left. It's like we say, oh, well, the muscles that are resisting you, these muscles are tight and they're resisting you from turning to the right. When actually, maybe there's a weakness in the muscles that actually rotate your head to the right, which is causing this protective tightening. And so as I started correlating these principles that every place I see a limitation in range of motion, I'm seeing correlating muscle weakness, I literally started like, wait a minute, let's maybe, maybe this tightness is a symptom. And you think about it when you walk on ice. What's the first thing when you walk what you do when you walk on ice? You tighten up as a protective mechanism. So I realized the natural neurological response is when the body senses instability, it tightens up as a protective mechanism. So the tightness is secondary to the weakness. And so maybe this tightness that I've been focusing on my whole career is really part of the protective mechanism. And then if you violate the protective mechanism, the negative things are going to happen. Imagine if you walked on ice and someone gave you a muscle relaxer and you didn't shorten your stride length and go into your protective state, you'd slip and fall and injure yourself. Well, the same thing, if you violate the protective mechanism by trying to increase mobility, uh, then and when there's weakness, the weakness is what the body's trying to protect from. So if you open up a range of motion that's unstable, I always say if you have mobility without stability, you have vulnerability for injury. So that tightness is a protective mechanism that allows the body to, excuse me, to protect itself from injury. And so then I think back whenever I would stretch or get deep tissue massage and I couldn't get out of bed the next day because we were violating protective mechanism. And literally, uh, if you think about it from a, a perspective is, instead of thinking that the muscles that are resisting you from moving the into a position are tight, think about the muscles that move you into the position are, are weak. And when a muscle's weak from a neurological standpoint, it can't fully contract. So when a muscle can't contract efficiently, it can't shorten effectively. And through law of reciprocal inhibition, when the muscles, when the muscle contracts, the antagonist muscle will relax and allow that motion to occur. But if a muscle loses the ability to contract, then the opposite muscles don't relax, so they tighten up and don't allow you to move into that position of instability. What a great protective mechanism, that, I mean, ingrained mechanism that the nervous system provides. So the interesting thing was, I mean, through this manual muscle testing, uh, I mean, I refined it because a lot of the muscle tests in clinical kinesiology don't test in extreme range of motion. They test in mid-range where biomechanically we have the, I mean, we have the greatest moment arm, greatest neurological advantage. So that's where we should be the strongest. So they test more in neutral positions. I, since I was a range of motion guy, as a, a range of motion guy, I'd assess and, ooh, you're tight here. And then I'd test them from that position or that end range position. And that's where the weaknesses would show up. And so with MAT, I basically created all of these tests that tested muscle function in the extremes of range of motion. And the interesting thing was I had a guy that was working with me that I would have practice on me. And the first time I would think about my tightness, I could barely bend down to touch my knees. I would stretch my hamstrings and my lower back muscles to death and I never got any more flexible. 
how many people have personally or with their clients stretched people over and over and over and they come back every year they're no more flexible than they'd ever been and that's how i was and then i quit doing it because every time i did it i felt worse and i i had pain and so literally we got so th think of the muscles that move you into transflexion the opposite muscles of the hamstrings and erectors because i couldn't bend down to touch my toes we activated the hip flexors and abdominals and i reached down and touched my toes for the first time in 10 years and i literally it was amazing to me and it was like how did that just happen but the muscles that were weak were the muscles that couldn't contract which was causing the reciprocal tightness on the antagonist side that was an eye-opener in my career that changed my career. And then I started looking at it movement by movement, muscle by muscle, and created this whole systematic process now that we call MAT. And, and the nice part is, I mean, basically, is wherever you see a limitation in range of motion, it tells you that one or more of the muscles that move you in that position are potentially weak. So the tightness is a result of the weakness. And the weakness is, re is the result of inflammation. So whenever you have stress, trauma, or overuse, the resultant inflammation alters the communication between the nervous system and the muscle system. So it's like having loose battery cables. The nervous system sends an input to the muscle, but it's just not getting there. So the muscles can't fire, and they can't fire on demand to do their job to protect you from injury and do their job to stabilize joints. So you think about what we were talking about earlier, stability, and, and I was strong but I was unstable. And muscle inflammation negatively impacts the contractile ability of slow twitch muscles. It actually had, creates metabolic changes in slow twitch muscle fibers where the muscles actually pick up fast twitch, the muscle fibers actually pick up fast twitch characteristic. We'd say, oh, that's good because, I mean, Mayo Clinic has research that showed that people with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue actually have a higher percentage of fast twitch muscle fibers but they're weak. We think training fast twitch fibers, oh, train for strength and train the fast twitch fibers, but fast twitch fibers have a lower oxidative capacity, the increased rate of fatigue, and the main aspect is the, um, the, the threshold to activation is higher. So it needs more input before it can actually create a contraction. So the slow twitch fibers contract and they contract beyond their conscious control. So those reflexive contractions occur through the, the, through the activation or stimulation of slow twitch fibers. When these slow twitch fibers pick up fast twitch characteristics, the threshold to activation changes. And that threshold of activation gets higher. And so now they can't contract, they can't contract on demand. And the ones that are getting input will contract on demand. The ones that aren't getting proper input are just along for the ride. So when you have muscle weakness that relates to inflammation, your timing is off and function is about timing. Function's about timing that muscles have to be able to contract and contract on demand because when I lift my arm up over my head, there's 23 different muscles, there are divisions of muscles that we can assess that upwardly rotate the scapula, that elevate and rotate the clavicle, that main, the rotator cuff muscles holding the head of the humerus in the glenoid while the shoulder flexors actually perform the motion at the glenohumeral joint. You have 23 different muscles that ha all have to contract and contract on demand. And if certain muscles can't contract, the ones that do will. So then all of a sudden you see somebody lift their arm like this and they actually shrug their shoulder and they don't get the normal upward rotation in the different axes of motion that have to occur through the SC joint and the AC joint. And all of a sudden shoulder mechanics are completely thrown off. 
Well, the best thing is, is muscles move bones and muscles hold bones in proper alignment. So if you look at postural male alignments or you look at um, dysfunction and or I mean bones that are out of alignment that need to be adjusted, it's because the muscles aren't doing their job to keep bones in proper alignment. And I always say posture is a position where all movement starts from. If you start from a bad position, you can never get in a good position. And so all the muscles have to be firing and firing in demand, one, to maintain upright posture. But then if you start from a bad position, the ones that are firing will dominate. And then you reinforce compensation patterns through every movement that you do. And through exercise, the problem is from an exercise standpoint is when you do compound motions, the strong get stronger and the weak stay weak and you can magnify the imbalance. Again, it's like driving your car with bad alignment. The harder and faster you drive it, the faster it's going to break down. So I look at, so now I can look at it personally, develop this whole process. Inflammation is a common denominator. So anytime you have stress, trauma, or overuse, the resultant inflammation alters this communication between the nervous system and the muscle system. So think about it if you sprain an ankle. You sprain an ankle, what happens when you try and walk on it? It hurts. Why does it hurt? There, I mean, this is an interesting factor. But there's actually an inverse relationship between mechanoreception and nociception. And so basically your mechanoreceptors is basically the muscle spindle, the, the, the sensory receptors in your muscle tissue that provide information to the nervous system on changes in length and rate of, rate of change in length in the muscles. And then your nociceptors are your pain receptors that send the pain signals uh, to the brain. And so there's an inverse relationship. So when mechanoreception, which when you have inflammation, the sensitivity of your muscle spindles decreases. So your input back to the nervous system decreases. So it takes less physical force to create a pain response. So you try and walk on a sprained ankle and it's like, oh, I can't put any weight on it because it hurts. No, you can't put any weight on it because you're so weak. So the nervous system is shouting out saying, quit doing this until you fix the problem. And I've literally, when we get muscles activated, I've seen sprained ankles where you the, all the muscles that support the lower leg and foot activated. And I've seen literally people walk out without their crutches. And because immediately as you increase mechanoreception and increase the in sensory input from the, the muscle system or the muscles that have been damaged through inflammation, immediately if you reset those muscles and, and get, basically increase the activation or tighten the battery cables, those muscles can now tolerate forces and it takes more physical force to create a pain response. So pain is an indicator something's wrong. We just have to identify what's wrong. And so, so literally that's been my whole career and development. And the nicest thing is that every, who's a muscle activation techniques for? Anyone that has a muscle system. And, and all the aches and pains that we relate to aging have to do with failure of the muscle system. Failure of the muscle system to be able to contract on demand. And when you have these loose battery cables over time due, a, due to accumulation of stress, trauma, and overuse, as you have this altered communication over time, the ability for those muscles to tolerate force continues to decline. And then all of a sudden, those muscles can't do their job to stabilize joints and protect you from injury. And now you have arthritis, I mean, you need a hip replacement or you need a knee replacement because the joints are no longer being uh, maintained. The integrity of the joint surfaces are no longer being maintained because the muscles can't maintain that. So it's a process that's been unbelievable. And if you think about it from an exercise standpoint for all the trainers out there is every time you put a force on somebody's body, 
you have to recognize, can their body tolerate those forces? And am I having, is it having a positive effect or a negative effect? And the one thing I can say about muscle activation techniques is we have the tools to be able to assess that. If, a, if you exceed a tolerance level of the muscles, let's say I was doing a chest press or a pec deck, a horizontal adduction, and it was too much force and I overload the muscles, those muscles would show up weak. You would see, whenever you would see tolerance levels, though the neurological connections, it's basically you disconnect the, the, the battery cables or you loosen the battery cables when you would see tolerance level. And immediately you're able to determine is like, oh, that just had a negative effect. Uh, but anytime you put a force on the body, you have to determine whether or not that force had a positive effect or a negative effect. If it has a positive effect, then it's going to have great results. You're going to get great results. If it has a negative effect, then it's actually going to push you further and further down the downward spiral. And that's why the extreme example would be somebody with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. That's why they can't exercise is because exercise is a, basically putting force on, a, on tissues in the body that the, on the body that can't even control their own body weight. Um, and so, I mean, maybe this is a good time or maybe for a question, but uh, the best thing, example would be that video if we pull up the videos that I showed you and then we show what it's like to be dysfunctional and how getting muscles activated and tightening battery cables can improve function immediately. Sounds good, Greg. And uh, for those of you out there listening, as you heard Greg explain all of this, I'm betting every one of you can think of an example now that Greg explained it and how, uh, you know, the loosened battery cables are creating a, a lack of strength, which is creating a lack of range of motion or and or pain. Think about it. I bet you can think of at least one. I know I'm thinking of one right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Big one. So, so think about that as we keep going through this. Also, remember to type your questions. I see some questions coming in. I absolutely love it. I, I also love that uh, Michael compared you to David Goggins, and I don't know if you know who David Goggins is, uh, Greg, but uh, yeah, the Navy SEAL uh, stud oh. guy that's just done all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff, and he's bald. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> right. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. But do type your questions this in there. <laughs> That's right. And do uh, type your questions and make sure you download the handout. So now I'm going to take a stab at putting that video up for you. Uh, I assume everybody can see it. So uh, tell me when to play the first video, Greg. Maybe you can tell us what the people are seeing for those that may not be able to see. Yeah. So we have a woman here that came to me. She was a diabetic. She had a kidney transplant and she literally came to me. And, and I always say uh, with my clients, I don't care what you can do. I want to know what you can't do because what you can't do from a neuromuscular standpoint, what you can't do is breaking you down. So this woman comes in and she tells me, she said, I was at Christmas time. We were, I mean, cooking dinner and I, I got down on the ground and I had to have my grandson help me get up because I couldn't get up off the ground. And so literally she's telling me she's weak and she'd been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome also. So all of these things with the kidney transplant and, and diabetes were taking its toll on her neuromuscular system. Again, all inflammatory based. And so inflammation negatively affects the function of the, of the muscle system, the, the, the ability to produce force and, and provide stability to joints and tissues. So this woman, she tells me she couldn't stand up. I said, here, let me see you stand up. And this is her on the on the right, what I'm looking at on my left, I guess. Um, but go ahead. This is her trying to stand up when she first came in. And I always say people will get from point A to point B most efficiently with what they have to work with. And 
Can we get it? Yep, here we go. Okay. So this is her trying to stand up. She's using anything and everything she can. She's pushing up on her knee. She's holding the table. She's using every ounce of energy that she can to try and stand up. And you know what the amazing part about that is? It's like God plays tricks on us in the way that the more dysfunctional we become, the more harder we have to work from get to get from point A to point B. When we're functioning at a high level, it takes less energy and less effort. So it's kind of like the weak people should get a break, but it's actually harder to get through life when, you, when you're neurologically stressed. And so, so this woman comes in and uh, so now we go, we put her on the table and we do a, a full evaluation, range of motion assessment. Uh, she's tight, I mean, hamstrings, hip flexors, hip rotators, spinal motion, she can barely turn in either direction. So she's tight. Well, tightness means weakness. When muscles can't contract efficiently, if they can't fully contract, they can't fully create rotation or any motion that we saw the tightness in. So think about that woman, anyone that can see her, think of her picture, the fact that she can't stand up and she's chronically tight. Do you think stretching would have any positive effect on her ability to stand up? It's not going to make her stronger. Even if she was more mobile and it didn't have a negative effect, because I did say, in fact, anytime you increase mobility without stability, you're opening up ranges that are unstable. So you actually increase, I mean, vulnerability to injury. And so that's why people tighten back up. The goal with muscle activation techniques is to melt the ice. If you melt the ice, then the body doesn't have to tighten up to protect anymore. And so she was chronically tight. She'd done all these physical therapy exercise programs to try and increase her mobility and increase her strength. She couldn't tolerate body weight forces, let alone outside forces, which outside forces are still stretching, deep tissue work, foam rolling, um, dry needling. Those are still outside forces. And it doesn't make any of these bad. But in certain situations, it, if the body can't tolerate, then they can have negative effects. If the body can tolerate it, it will have a positive effect. So I don't go out and say all these things are bad. It depends on the situation. So this woman um, now, I mean, can't stand up. Now we go through and activate all of her muscles in her hips and her core. And on the, on the opposite side, the right side, you'll see her able to, the same session, this is like 30 minutes into the session. See how it's effortless? I mean, effortless. And then can you go back and forth and show them again? Um, go back to the left. She's using every ounce of energy to try and stand up, pushing through her leg through the table. And here, I talk about efficiency. All the muscles are firing more effectively. And now she steps right up. Remember I said, I mean, when we're efficient, I mean, it takes less energy. So there's a, there's a, a big factor here. So I don't have, take videos of every client when, I, when they walk in the door. So this is the first time I'm seeing this woman. So... What I did was, oh, we're not done with those pictures yet. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, no problem. So, going. so when you're facing it with looking at the picture on the left, um, she can barely stand up. That was how she came in. Then we got her muscles activated and then we saw her on the right, which she could stand up efficiently. So then I had her go through her home stretching program, putting force on her body. She did her hamstrings, her quadriceps, and every, everything. She went through her day, daily routine that she was doing the, the, to increase her flexibility. And then I videotaped her. And that's the picture on the left. 
after I put, I got her activated, she could stand up efficiently. Then I put force on her body that her body couldn't tolerate and it made her weaker again. So she couldn't tolerate the forces of what she was doing on a day-to-day -day basis by stretching every muscle that was tight in her body and it was having a negative effect. We stopped, first thing I did was took away her stretching program, take away force on her body. Then her body became more regularly like it is on the right where she could stand up efficiently. It wasn't shutting her down. Then she had the opportunity to basically get stronger. I talked about overtraining. She was in a chronically overtrained state because she was putting, you think, oh, stretching is not a lot of force. It is on a woman that's that weak. And so for her, stretching was, was contraindicated. And so we took it off her program, got her body functioning at a level. Uh, this facility at the time was on the second floor and it would take her like five minutes to get up the stairs when we when she first started coming and then it was like i'd have her go up and down the stairs and see how it affected her neuromuscular system and she could do it and still function the way she's functioning on the right so so it's all about force tolerance levels and every every trainer or every therapist out there has had somebody walk in the door like this and I tell you what, where I talked about athletes and I got hired by the Denver Broncos and the Utah Jazz and I was a range of motion function guy. Those principles worked on athletes because you can do anything wrong with athletes and still have success with athletes because the integrity of their neuromuscular system is so high. I'm not going to put forces on their body that they don't have when they hit head to head on the field. Um, those guys take hits that will never be more stressful than me stretching them or doing deep tissue work. So you can do anything with them and not exceed their tolerance level. But as you get further down the continuum where a high level athlete is on one end of the continuum and this woman, a diabetic with a kidney transplant is on the other end of the continuum, the further you get down toward the dysfunctional end of the continuum, the more careful you have to be about putting forces on that person's body. Now, the interesting thing here, as you look at the bottom slide and what you all came here for, isolation versus integration. The integrated system is only as good as the function of its isolated parts. So movement by movement, muscle by muscle, we went through her body and increased the integrity of the muscles so that you could perform each movement. So I said she was limited in trunk rotation. We got the muscles that rotate the spine functioning at a higher level. Then all of a sudden her mobility and her, her stability or strength increased. Then we could go through motions like side bending and then trunk flexion and then hip rotation, internal rotation and external rotation, hip flexion, hip extension. And we would go through movement by movement, muscle by muscle, and get the integrated system so that, would, that all the isolated parts could function. And the interesting thing was she was doing functional type exercises as part of her rehab. Look at her on the left, and that was the result of her functional exercises. She was dysfunctional. When we do functional exercise, we can end up reinforcing dysfunction, just like driving your car with bad alignment. You have to correct the alignment first so that then you can drive it. So it's not saying functional exercises are bad, but you have to prepare the body weight to lift all of that force, all of that mass. Like the body has to be able to say, I can stand up. And so what you have to do is go take a step backwards and address all the isolated parts, increase the strength of all the isolated parts. And then the integrated system is going to function at a much higher level. Then the results that we're trying to achieve from functional exercise or integrated exercise start getting enhanced because the isolated, the integrated system is only as good as the function of its isolated parts. 
And if any of you watch golf right now, there's a guy on the tour named Bryson DeChambeau that has gone through a high level MAT program where we are literally going through from a strength standpoint, strength and conditioning standpoint, we are going through and strengthening all the individual uh, isolated components of his, his body or the movements in his body so that his integrated system can function at a high level. And there's been a lot of media out there on, I mean, he's, he's actually broken, shattered Tiger Woods' record in driving distance and he's doing things on the tour with club head speed distance that nobody's ever done before. And the interesting thing about that is he doesn't do one compound exercise. He's, he's gained 40 pounds and he doesn't do squats. He doesn't do power lifts. He doesn't do deadlifts. He doesn't do um, bench press. He does trunk rotation exercises, trunk flexion exercises, side bending exercises, hip flexion, excuse me, hip flexion exercise, hip extension. Like we look at all the isolated movements that need to occur uh, in, in this integrated system. And as all the isolated parts is improved in strength, his overall integrated system is functioning at a high level. And some people have always said that, I mean, they're tra from a transfer standpoint, well, you can't do isolated exercise and have it transfer into functional movement. The integrated system is only as good as the function of its isolated parts. And so that's, I mean, literally, he's living proof that you don't have to do compound exercise or integrated exercise to create a positive transfer into functional movement. And so it's a pretty pretty neat progression over the years to see how it works. But that's what we're here for is to recognize there's a place for everything. There's a place for integrated movement and there's a place for isolated movement because we are only as strong as our weakest link. And if we don't identify the weak links, then that's what's going to break us down. That's what's going to make us vulnerable for injury. And what happens is when we have weak links, the body has to compensate for those weak links. And through compensation, you put increased force on other joints and tissue, and then pain starts to show up somewhere else, and pain comes with inflammation. So you start having inflammation, so other joints and tissues, because they're getting overstressed, they start to get irritated and dysfunctional, and people start getting into this downward spiral. And like I said, I mean, the, all the aches and pains that we relate to aging have to do with failure of the muscle system failure of the muscle system to be able to tolerate force. When the muscles can't tolerate the forces that are applied to them, then, I mean, eventually Pandora's box opens up and you, you have a straw that breaks the camel's back and people are in chronic pain because they were on this progressive level of compensation and strengthening their dysfunction pattern. And eventually you get to a point where you're no, you no longer have enough strong muscles to compensate for your weak muscles. And that's when Pandora's box opens up. And that, those are the people that come in like this woman that need a whole neuromuscular overhaul. And that overhaul is saying, let's take you, improve your function, muscle by muscle, movement by movement, muscle by muscle, so that your whole integrated system can function at a higher level. Wow, great stuff. Uh, and the video, uh, hopefully everybody could see that, but those that couldn't uh, really show uh, the power of exactly what Greg is speaking to. Uh, so thank you for sharing those. I'm glad we got them to work. We've got some questions coming in here, which is great. Keep those coming. Uh, I, I have one question, one more question for you, Greg, and then we'll, we'll jump into the Q&A. Uh, mm -hmm. Listeners, make sure you post your questions, download the handouts. And that is, now that we uh, have an understanding of how you came to be with creating MAT and uh, you know examples of why it works and so forth and, and what's happening in the body, how do 
how does how do our listeners or people that want to learn more about MAT, how do they apply it? In other words, how does it fit into this thought process and how is it something that listeners can learn more about so that they're the ones helping people like you have been? Yeah, from the the interesting part, I mean, it's pretty complex, the principles that make up MAT in the big picture where, like I said, we have the tools to be able to assess and identify where the weaknesses are. And, and it's all through limitations and range of motion. But where, from the perspective of what, how can you take these principles home is to recognize with your clients that muscle, first off, is muscle tightness is a sign of weakness. So wherever you see a limitation in range of motion, it means that one or more of the muscles that move you into that position are potentially weak, which means they have a lower tolerance level. I mean, their force tolerance levels are lower than what they would be if they were optimally functioning. That's why the other side is dominating. I mean, I always say it's a fight for dominance. Uh, when you have inhibition on one side, if you think of a tug of war and you had 10, 250 pound guys with equal strength on both sides, that string stays in the middle. But you'd knock two guys off of one side and all of a sudden the 10 guys pull the strain and they win the tug of war. And so if, if when you have muscle weakness, the 10 side becomes the dominant side, the 10 person side becomes the dominant side. So the muscles on the antagonist side of the weakness become dominant. And so the first thing that you have to think of is we don't wanna stretch the tight muscles. We wanna try and activate or stim create some form of stimulation to the weak muscle. So again, like if I'm limited in, in, excuse me, if I'm limited in external rotation at my shoulder, we think, oh, well, the, an the anterior muscles, the internal rotators are tight. No, it's the posterior muscles, the external rotators are, are, are weak. And when the muscles are weak, and when, neurologically, when you have the overuse and the inflammation, the muscles can't, when muscles can't contract effectively, they can't shorten effectively. So the opposite muscles tighten up. So the first thing you wanna do, the safest way to start implementing this is saying, oh, they don't move as well on the right side as they do on the left side. I'm mixed up here, but they don't move as well on the left side as they do on the right side. So we have a problem with the external rotators in, on the right side. So the first thing to do there is to, what we wanna do is actually reestablish the communication between the nervous system and the muscle system. We gotta tighten battery cables. So without the ability to test and find the weakness in the, in the infraspinatus, teres minor, teres minor, the muscles that have the component of function to externally rotate the humerus, all we would say is wherever you can't move, we want to have you isometrically contract into that position. Not a contract relax where you're gonna push forward into internal rotation, but try and stimulate the muscle that needs to be contracting. We need to bring attention between the brain and the muscles to create the association, i.e. tighten battery cables, to improve that communication. And since slow twitch muscle fibers are negatively impacted by inflammation, we don't wanna do high intensity isometrics. We wanna do low intensity isometrics. To slow twitch muscle fibers, I mean longer duration, lower intensity, we wanna do low intensity isometric contractions in the shortened position where you find limitations in range of motion. And so as I bring the, the arm back, I'd say, ooh, I can't move into external rotation. You want a barrier to say, push into in external rotation, into that barrier lightly. I always say, see how soft you can push. Push as light as you can. And that starts to reestablish the communication. Then all of a sudden you relax for six contractions, six second holds. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, I can move it farther. And then you do an isometric contraction in that position. And then it's like, ooh, now you've got more communication and you, gradually improve communication between the nervous system and the muscle system. 
So at home, prior to doing an exercise to say, we need to strengthen the external rotators, because if you put force on those tissues and they're already weak and their tolerance level is low, you're gonna, I mean, I mean, reinforce the compensation pattern. But if you go back and activate the muscles where they can't move prior to doing the exercise, and then do follow it up with a concentric eccentric load, that's the most effective way to start. All of a sudden you'll see people start increasing their mobility because they're increasing their strength. And, and then the strength is more of an activation standpoint, not, oh, I can lift 500 pounds in external rotation. It's more, now I can move to the full range. So now I'm, be, I'm no longer dominated by the internal rotators that were dominating me because now I'm, my battery cables are tight and we now have two, 10, 250 pound guys on both sides. And then we got equal motion in internal and external rotation bilaterally. Excellent. And that's a, a perfect, great high level description of, of exactly what's happening and how you apply the techniques. Obviously just a little taster and a sampler, but much appreciated, Greg. Uh, now, for those of you tuning in, after the webinar, about an hour after the webinar, you're going to receive an e automated email, an email that will come from uh, from me that gives you more instruction on how you can learn more about MAT, uh, including their website address and a email that you can contact Greg and his team at. So make sure you save that. Again, go to the handouts, download that has more information on MAT. So with that, uh, Greg, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for some uh, some questions here. Uh, Tracy says she cannot wait for your book to come out. And uh, that makes two of us, Tracy. Uh, that definitely makes two of us. Uh, let's see. Okay, so Danny has a question. Danny says, would you recommend that a client currently working on their mobility refrain from strength training completely, or would lessening the load, depending on their pain threshold, be allowed? Um, so if they're working on their mobility, um, I mean, if we, if we look at mobility as being a factor of stability and, and basically muscle contractile efficiency, then we have to say, I mean, I, I have a hard time of understanding if mobility means we're going to stretch, massage and release tissues, roll, foam roll, things like that. Then we're looking at we're putting forces on the tissue that maybe or maybe not the, those tissues can't tolerate. If they can't tolerate it, then you'll have more protective tightening when you put forces on the tissue because the weakness will I mean be magnified and the forces the, that those forces will actually cause more protective tightening we're walking on ice even more now <laughs> slicker ice uh, so the way that I would put a focus on mobility is exactly what I just talked about and, and it doesn't mean take away principles that that you're doing for mobility but recognize if I stretch if I had a limitation in external rotation and I stretch the internal rotators to increase the range. How do I know as a practitioner, how do I know whether I opened up a range that's unstable or that range is actually stable and they're fine with that motion? And the problem is you don't know, but you have a protective mechanism that you can go to is you can stretch and say, oh, I just increased by 20 degrees. Now they externally rotate 20 degrees farther but I might have a range, a 20 degree range that's unstable. For some reason, they were protecting and only moving to this range. So now after I stretch them and go through my mobility exercise, now I wanna do activation exercises and I wanna finish off any stretching routine by having them contract and do those low grade isometric contractions. So I guess the answer is yes, you would wanna lessen the load and know that 
if people are people end up sacrificing mobility to have strength and when you lose mobility um that means there's an instability issue and so if you're trying to increase mobility then you have to identify and address the stability issue and that's where these low-grade isometric contractions can teach you to move to that range then you can follow it up with concentric eccentric exercise but the, again, since mobility is a, is a, is a limiting factor or an identification factor of weakness, you don't want to have them, oh, well, I'll just work through 20 degrees of range of motion because you want to be strong through your full range of motion when you do exercises. So you have to prepare the body to tolerate force, then put the forces on it, but make sure when you do those exercises that you're doing them through full ranges of motion. And you'll find when you have when you go to have people do exercises through greater ranges of motion, the weight that they lift has to go down. They're, they've been lifting weights that they can't right. tolerate. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Great answer. Danny, thank you again uh, for your question. And uh, he says, just have to get my clients to be patient to get the battery wires working again. Thank you so much, Greg. So thank uh, you. perfect. Perfect. Let's see, and again, for those of you listening, I'm, I'm looking at a different screen. Uh, Steffi says, did you say to do six six-second isometric contractions for one muscle group, then follow it up with a gentle con concentric contraction exercise, i.e. tubing? If so, what sets and reps? Yeah. And if so, what sets and reps? Yeah, so um, you want to start out knowing that the tolerance level is low because the limitation in range of motion dictated uh, weakness on the side that can't shorten. So in this motion, it would be the inability for the external rotators to fully shorten, which caused the internal rotators to become dominant and hold it in a more internally rotated position. So you want to do the isometric contractions, six contractions, six second holds, working into that shortened position and you should see range of motion increase. Now you have a newfound range of motion. So now you have muscle fibers that are going to be contracting and doing and tolerate or putting resisting forces that aren't used to resisting forces. So pretend it's a brand new person in the gym and you gotta be very careful. So we're gonna use very lightweight, do high repetitions, and I'd say 12 to 15 repetitions just to start getting them comfortable under load through that full range of motion. You don't need to take them to complete fatigue or exhaustion. You just want to reinforce the ability for them to contract into that shortened range. Oh man, this is fascinating. <laughs> uh, thank you, Stephanie, for that or Steffi for that question. That was a great question. Right. Uh, PJ says, "Wow, such a webinar! Awesome. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Not for me." Uh, Greg, this is more one here, but thank you, PJ, for saying that. I'm really enjoying it myself. Uh, let's see what else we got. We'll try to get to one or two more. Um, oh, so Megan, Megan says, would this technique be useful in identifying weakness and extreme range of motion in professional dancers who at times can be hypermobile? Yes, and, and it's interesting because years ago I, I actually did our coursework. I trained I trained the physical therapist for Cirque du Soleil uh, from across the world for all the shows across the world. They brought all the physical therapists into Montreal from all their shows, and I did I taught them the full full process of MAT. And if they, if this process was ever going to fail, I thought I mean these uh, these dance they call them dancers. The dancers are so hypermobile 
that um, they're not going to have ranges of motion or, limit, or limited ranges of motion. And the interesting thing, and this is why it's so important that the integrated system is only as good as the function of its isolated part, because I go through movement by movement and, be, oh, they got great range of motion. And then all of a sudden there was one athlete I got with their armor against their body. You can't see standing up, but they couldn't, he could barely rotate his arm. You know, like he had no motion when his arm was against his body to externally rotate. Well, he was having a problem holding the dancer above his head as part of his routine after a, after a shoulder injury. And literally, the, even though he was this high-level, hypermobile person, they, you will find a position of weakness. And those positions of weakness show up through limitations in range of motion. So the assessment process for MAT is a range of motion assessment because I didn't want to test every muscle in this dancer's body to try and find out where his problems were, but going through general range of motion assessment, all of a sudden it's like, wow, he can move 45 degrees on his right side, but his left side, he has like five degrees of motion. There's a problem there with the muscles that actually move the joint into that position with the arm adducted against the body. We got those muscles activated and it correlated into his overhead motion, and we got those muscles activated and he was back performing at, at optimal level. And so, yes, with, with, it fits with any uh, high uh, athlete, non-athlete, geriatric, pediatric, coordinated, uncoordinated, everyone that has a muscle system has, I mean, has, has to be assessed. I always say life, life is going to beat us up. And from a neuromuscular standpoint, somebody has to be there to put you back together like you do in NASCAR. You put your car back together after you drive it so you can go race it again. We need to do that with our bodies. We need to get our bodies prepared to tolerate forces so we can go race again. <laughs> wow, that is perfect. And I'm cool. I'm really glad Megan asked that question. And you had the perfect example. <laughs> I, think, I don't think you get much more flexible yeah. than circuit delay. So outstanding. Uh, thank you for the questions. Uh, being, being, making sure that we stick to our time schedule here. Uh, I won't be taking any more questions, but again, remember, you will have contact information to be able to connect with MAT, connect with us. If you have further questions, please do email one or the other or both uh, for sure. I want to definitely thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, I, I know I got a lot of this. I'm sure you did as well. Um, that the PDFs, I, I have Scott saying, can you post the PDFs? I'm not sure how I'd post them, but look in the handouts and uh, click on download. And if you still can't do that, just email me. You'll get my email address within about an hour. Email me and I'm happy to send them to you or anybody else that didn't get them. Uh, so with that, uh, Greg, uh, I would love it if you would just take a few, a few more minutes here and just close this out, um, close out our audience. And you know, I'd love to give you that honor. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, and thank you all, all for being here. And, and I know I mean, with everything, it's been difficult times with this pandemic that's not only affecting us in the United States, but all over the world. I mean, nobody's immune to the impact of, the, of this pandemic. And so it's been tough to, to have a career to, to go to work every day. I mean, we're, we're in a, a unique field where uh, we're not essential. I mean, in, in the training and health, where we're not classified as essential providers, even though health and fitness can be the most essential component of, of somebody's life. And, and so I think that's what brings us to this field. 
I, I get rewards every day because I, I know that I can help people and I have the ability and a tool to be able to help people and improve their quality of life. And I think that's why anybody that's in this field with from a training standpoint, rehabilitation standpoint, anyone that's in this field um, has has that unique ability or the passion to try and help people. And it becomes kind of selfless. And we, we put ourselves out there so that we can uh, try and help other people. Sometimes it's sacrificing our own health. And, and so um, I appreciate you all taking the time to, um, to listen to this. And, and, and I can say one thing from my own personal perspective is I am now 57 and I'm doing things that I couldn't do when I was 25. And I feel like, I mean, from a muscular standpoint, um, if I ever get aches and pains, I know I'm a treatment away of MAT to, to, um, to get myself feeling better. And I don't have the worries of, of osteoarthritis or knee replacements or hip replacements. Uh, I'm m more mobile and more stable than I was when I was 25. And from a, a physiological standpoint, I said I was dying at 25 with borderline diabetes and high cholesterol. Inflammation is the common denominator behind every disease out there. And from an exercise standpoint, exercise is designed. I mean, exercise is a prescription for every disease out there. Uh, but if exercise is a stress, then exercise can contribute to the problem. So if exercise is compounding the inflammatory responses in the body, it can actually contribute to disease. And, but if exercise actually in, a, in the right environment, exercise can actually control inflammation, which in turn can control disease. And that's what we wanna do. And, and, and I can say just from my own experiences and, and the 30 years of working with clients uh, as a range of motion function specialist to an MAT specialist, I see the value of improving neuromuscular function and how it affects overall quality of life. So I hope you can take these principles, do with it. I mean, what you want, our book is coming out in a couple months. This pandemic allowed me the time to write the book, which has been great. And it's an introductory program to all the principles of MAT and how to assess and how to how to do baseline activation techniques. And uh, if you, I mean, again, it's a, it's a tool that I think everyone has a muscle system. So every muscle system needs to be assessed and, and optimized relative to, to performance. So I hope this is of value to you and thank you everyone for, for coming and listening to me. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for the close, Greg. And uh, I, I got to say, I'm just going to throw in there. Uh, I thought that you were my age, if not a little younger. Um, and I'm at 51 now. So, wow. Well done, brother. <laughs> well done. Thank you all. Dan Duran here, PTA Global. Thank you, Greg. Thank you all for tuning Thank you, in. Continue, thank you and continue to tune in uh, for our weekly interviews. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a good day.